Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Old Testament passage from Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 5. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out my water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still, others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Our New Testament reading is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, please? One of the distinguishing features of your servant's characterization of you in the Psalms is that you are a God who daily bears our burdens, that you are a God who in the remaking of your indentured people, who in the emancipation of your enslaved people, brought them out And when they were dog-tired, you refreshed your weary inheritance. As you are a burden-bearing God and an inheritance-refreshing one as well, we ask you to do the same today, that you would make streams in the desert, in those arid, dry, dusty places within us. Would you cause praise to spring up, beautiful flowers of understanding, luscious growth of devotion to you who for some unfathomable reason has decided to be devoted to us. Come Holy Spirit, help us, speak to us, refresh your weary inheritance today. Amen. We are doing this three-week series, or in week two of it, which we do each year where we look at how we would answer the question if someone asked us as a church, how are you doing? And we said last week, 
knowing whether you're behind or not, or ahead or not, or doing well or not, depends on a whole lot on what kind of race it is that you're in, what kind of story that you're in. We said if the goal of your life is to keep your self on top of all your laundry and house cleaning, then you may constantly feel like a loser. If your goal in life is to make sure you have enough money for every contingency, you also may feel like a loser. But if by chance there are more things in your life to be tended to than that, or that those are substrata of concerns, subverted behind something bigger, then there's hope for you. And We talked last week about this first calling, this central calling of the church to be a community that makes much of him who has made much of us. We talked about worship, our particular calling to esteem, to hold as precious Jesus Christ, to recognize that that's what humans do is they operate in the right order of things by giving praise to God, and that we are called to be a kingdom of priests who offer the world to God in intercession, and we offer praise to God in service with our lips and with our lives. But we also, as priests, represent God to the world, and we'll talk about that next week when Corby does one on witness. But today, we're talking about this aspect of our responsibility, our privileged calling to each other. And one of the things you've heard us say at Rock Creek over and over ad nauseum, I keep hitting this, I'm not angry with it, but I am klutzy today apparently. We talk about one anothering, using the many scriptural admonitions to forgive, to bear with, to show compassion for those seated next to us and those in front of us and those behind us in like manner as Christ himself has forgiven and shown compassion and welcome to us. And so this is the aspect of our calling that we could, in using the Bible's language and Edmund Clowney's, nurture, the nurture of the church. But I like to say things in different ways. It may not work, but I'm always trying to figure out how do we say the things you've heard one million times in a way that you have not heard one million times. And so the way I'm characterizing this today, and maybe you've heard me say this before, but we are a community that has been called to to fuss over each other as we have been fussed over. What do you do when you really, really care about somebody? When their life matters to you so much that you're unwell so long as they're unwell. Where when they're doing something and you're away from them, you're worried about them, not about you. That's called fussing over somebody. You care about what happens to them. You, you worry about them. Their well-being is a primary preoccupation of yours. Well, we're a people of whom it can be said, the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. We have a God who delights in his people. They're told to rejoice on their beds for this honor that God delights in their well-being. God fusses over us. He takes great pains to make sure that we come to know him. He interrupts us. 
even in ways that we don't want him to, so that we will come to know him because that is the savory gift that he can give. We're a fussed over people called to fuss over each other and nurture. And one of the places that we, we see that happening and talked about is here in Ephesians 4. Paperweight. The Apostle Paul is talking about the church in the book of Ephesians, this new society, this pilot project of God where he shows here's what people are supposed to be like. And he even says in Ephesians chapter 3, surely you've heard about this administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then he gets sidetracked saying, God has brought us all together to put on display his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And that makes you think that something more is going on on a Sunday morning than you feeling a little sweaty in an unair conditioned room. He's putting on display his brilliance at rescuing people, at salvaging people who are a great burden to themselves and to others and who are in rebellion against them and he's making them friends and he's fussing over them. He's delighting over their well-being and he's propping himself up against their ruin and he's bringing together people who are at enmity with him and with each other and he's showing off, look how I can bring people together to be my inheritance, to offer them life in the world to come. And so then in chapter 4, he says, so I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling you have received to be the splendor of God's wisdom to the world. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is a little before what just got read. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It's important as we're thinking about our life as a church to think about our life as a fussed over people and that our life is one in which we have been called together. And theologians will often use passages like these to understand what's going on in the church. Is the church just a conglomeration of people who get together and say, hey, this would be a cool way to waste some time together? We need a good social group, a good nonprofit that can do some good in the community? Let's pool our resources. Many hands make light work. Well, Paul would recognize there are benefits like that that accrue to communities because of churches. But they didn't come together because of human ingenuity. He says it's all an outworking of us being connected to Jesus, that we're one, and that he has apportioned grace. He has distributed gifts to his people for their good and the good of the world. So it's important to think about that as we think about nurture. 
In other places, he'll say we're a body, you know, like even the most apparently insignificant parts of your body, like you're an appendix. In the Greek, it says appendix. It doesn't say appendix. But he would say even the parts of the body, you don't even know why they exist. Who knows why an appendix exists? To cause you trouble later? So that it may be removed? It can be removed and nothing happens to you. What is an appendix for? But Jesus would say all the parts of his body have been configured just as he wants them. And each one has been given a manifestation, says Paul, of the Spirit for the common good. He has distributed gifts in his generosity to dignify us and so that we might become who we're supposed to be. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I think about a parade. My children are young. And for some reason, Santa Claus has jettisoned his reindeer. And he's taken to being driven about on a fire engine. Why a fire engine? I don't know. But he has candies. And the kids are lined along the sides of the road and they're clamoring for candies. Give us some savory sweetness, sir. And Santa there is tossing off candies to the kids. He's distributing their gifts. I've also been in parades where kids were in the parade, baseball parades. And they take the candy and they use it as a projectile. And they use you as a target. There's a person. Let's see if a now and later will put their eye out. (laughs) Of course, kids don't think like that. They just think there's a person. I'm going to see how hard I can throw this now or later at them. But Santa there is throwing them out because he wants the kids to have them, to catch them, to appropriate them, to take in the sweetness for themselves. And they didn't think it up. He did. And Paul is saying, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to people. He hands out. This is one of our comforts as a church because we'll never be unresourced. We already, Paul tells us, do not lack any spiritual gift by this Christ who has called us into fellowship with himself and who has given us each ways, equipping, a life that teems with his vitality. He gives gifts. And it goes on to say, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. It was he who gave these heralds and carriers of his message called prophets and apostles. Paul says the whole church is built on the cornerstone of these prophets and apostles. It's why, if you've never thought of it before, why we make such a big deal about the Bible. Because the prophets and apostles are the ones who stood in God's presence and God said, here, you tell them this. You tell the world things they never would have guessed about me. Because they're always coming to the wrong conclusions. So let me introduce myself to them through your words. And that's why these guys, like the apostles and Prophets can say things like, the message I give 
It's not something I made up, nor was it told to me by any man. It was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. And so to not listen to his word is to say, I think that the Apostle Paul is delusional, and based on his delusions, he therefore subjected himself to a life of horrible suffering and a bad retirement plan because he was so misguided, or he really did receive a revelation from Jesus Christ, and he thought it was worth life and death for everybody to know it. And he is indicative of all the prophets and apostles, and we have the record of their words here. So how would we get access to the gifts that God has distributed to the prophets and the apostles that were meant to equip us for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up in the world? Well, one of the ways we have is these scriptures to give attention to. These are the records of the prophets and the apostles. That's why we come to Sunday school. That's why we come to worship. That's why we meet in small groups. Hopefully that's why you read your Bible from time to time because one of the things that you're tempted right now today, I promise you, you're tempted to treat the words of the apostles, the truthfulness of Christianity, that you and we are tempted to treat it as if it's a decision between picking out a new pair of Adidas or a new pair of Nikes or a new pair of New Balances. It's a commodity. It's a choice. Good for you. That's cool. You do you, man. But see, Christianity has never said, you do you, man. It said, this is a true account of human history. The man hanging on the cross has the final say in human history. He is its end. He is its point. He is its rescue. He is the distributor of the grace that the world needs so that it will be scrubbed clean of judgment and nuisance and disaster. That Duke Divinity professor, Kate Bowler, was it, who had cancer as a small child, said in her book that came out last year, so everyone else was on Instagram, and I was fighting cancer. Here I am fighting cancer, and everyone else is on Instagram. What if God has, through Jesus Christ, given words to the apostles and the prophets and to evangelists meant to show you what your life is and you never even give it the time of day? If we're going to be a people of nurture who fuss over each other, we're going to have to be carriers of this word of God. It's going to have to dwell in us richly. We're going to have to give attention to it. We're going to have to do audit practices where we say, is this word seeping into my pores in some way? Is it forming the way I think in some way? Am I around other people who are helping me to let it form the way I think in some way? Otherwise, I'm I'm neglecting a portion, the grace that's meant for me. It was he who descended, he gave some to be prophets, apostles, evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. And one of the another amazing things, John Calvin says this, why is it that God employs prophets, apostles, evangelists, or pastors and teachers? Why does he give the church pastors? 
And he says something like this. It's so that by using someone who excels us in nothing. That's not a way we talk. It's an indictment. Before you stands a man who excels you in nothing. He's not better at you than you in, nothing, in anything. There, yeah, lots of double negatives. He excels you in nothing. But here's why he does it. Because he wants to make you himself approachable. God could come in a glory cloud and he could thunder his voice. And you guys and me together would dissolve. We would run away. We would say, please get away from us. Don't talk to us. We can't bear your presence. But instead, he gives you a fool who will say, this is what the word of God says. He'll give his words into the mouths of men and women, people who are taking it into themselves so that it becomes approachable. And in in that way, and in the scriptures, he baby talks to us, says Calvin. You know how babies learn to talk? You send them to language school, right? You have your little infant, and you're like, well, this kid's not learning English. We need to get them some note cards. Maybe do a little Duolingo. Maybe send them with Rosetta Stone to a, to a language school. No, with, in a normal situation, if you're just trying to teach your kid the language that you speak natively, you won't even think about teaching your kid the language. You will just talk to them. But you know how you start talking to them? You speak to them in these unintelligible weirdnesses. Unless you, you, know, you don't want to infantilize them and you speak to them like a grown-up. But most of you can't help it because they're so cute. And they learn something as you talk to them. They see your face light up when you look at them. They see your smile reflected in their eyes. They feel the warmth of your gaze, and eventually they learn to return the warmth. Eventually they learn the security that they have. Eventually, as they are spoken to, they absorb these words, and they start trying it out for themselves, and they know it's a safe proposition and that they can do it. They learn to talk by being talked to. And, they learn to be, and they're talked to starting out with lisping and baby talking, says Calvin. Or in the fancy terms, it's the doctrine of accommodation. They baby talk to us. And the reason that God gives us someone who excels us in nothing is so we can together find him approachable because he wants us to be approached. He wants to be approached by us. And what do they do? What is this grace for? It's to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. One of the things that's supposed to happen here is not merely an intellectual exercise. This, this apportioning of grace, one of the things I pray in plagiarism of the Apostle Paul, when Paul says, this administration of grace was given to me for you, he says to the Ephesians, and when I'm praying for you, when I'm praying for preaching, I'm saying, God, give me grace for them. Paul says, I know it's important for me to say that I might supply what's lacking in their faith and I might exist for their joy in the progress in the faith and I plagiarize him ruthlessly. I don't even copyright it. I don't even uh, cite it, I mean. Joy and progress in the faith. Lord, give me words for their joy in the progress in the faith. Give me words so that they will be moved to service. And see, to be recipients of God's graces in verbal form or physical form, it starts to alter us where works of service become 
a kind of thing that flow out of this life that's getting nurtured in us. The more we nurture this life of Christ in us, the more it will just occur to us to be characterized by works of service that build up the body of Christ. Because if you're going to do works of service, that implies something, that you have a posture of servanthood. It makes all the difference in the world where you walk in a situation saying, what are these people going to do for me, or what am I going to be able to do for these people? It makes all the difference in the world to wonder, am I being sent to someone or to love them, or am I being loved enough? And the apostle would urge us to say, you're a loved people. You're a nurtured people. You're a fussed over people. And you're being given grace so that you might have the life of your Savior brokered through you, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I promise you that you will not learn to serve very much, I don't think, from your presence on social media. You'll learn to judge. You'll learn to hate. You'll learn to feel satisfied at who you hate. I don't think you'll learn to serve. Because to serve requires this orientation that says, I've been given much. How may I come alongside you? Just this week in our small group, and I'm just going to mention our small group in a, in a kind of indirect way. I don't want to be explicit in an advertisement about it, because I want to talk about small groups in general as places of nurture at Rock Creek, but I want to come at it sideways. I don't want to be explicit, so you understand. I don't want you to understand what I'm doing here. So I'm not really urging you to be in part of small groups. I'm just going to tell you a tale about small groups in hopes that as you hear it, you'll go, oh, that's interesting. I want that for my life, too. But I don't want, I don't want you to have any idea what I'm up to. But one of the things I noticed this week when I asked our small group, and I'm not, this is not my small group, small groups, because there's this distribution of grace that happens, a circulatory system of grace that happens when Christians get together. And last year, I think in the spring we counted, I think we have some 30 to 35 groups of various sizes and sorts that get together by at least once a month within our church that we could count. There's all kinds of different formats and ways that this happened. We don't really care how it happens. We have some formal community groups that we love you to be a part of. But there's all kinds of ways that people in our church are getting together. That's awesome. To fuss over each other and to be fussed over and to learn how to give works of service to the world and to build up the body of Christ. But as I was meeting with our smokers our first time this, since the summer, I asked them these two questions. Tell me something you're that happened over the summer that you're happy about. And, or, tell me something you're worried about. It was amazing to hear the things I heard. And instructive. Almost like I was being built up myself for works of service as I listened to the saints in whom God is at work sharing God's work in their lives. It's almost like that's something that should be happening. I heard one person say, as they told how touched they felt when their children invited them on an extravagant trip, and they were talking about this trip, and said this line, it might have been to them a throwaway line, but to me it, 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 it was tattooed 
of my consciousness. It was so amazing that they wanted me to come with them, this mother said. Now, it's a rare mom, I think, that wants their kids to want them. I know. Most moms are like, get the kids away from me. I hate kids and all that. But some moms, you know, want, want their kids to want them back. They want when they're older and their kids are growing up to still, you know, call them, think of them, invite them to things. But then I think, you know, that moms are not really exceptional in that. Sherry Turkle says the reason we spend so much time on our phones is because we need to know who wants us. The reason a kid will take a text message or a Snapchat if they have their phone in their bedroom, don't let them have their phone in their bedroom, at 2 in the morning is because they need to know who wants them. We check our email incessantly because we need to know who wants us. We check to see if anything's happened, if we've gotten more likes, if we've gotten more increased popularity because we need to know who wants us. And one of the works of service that we do as a community that believes that we've been wanted is we help the people around us feel wanted. You want to come with us? You, you want to go get some coffee? We, we want them enough to, to listen to them, to let their life alter ours. We need to know who wants us. And one of the works of service that we do as a nurturing community is we let lonely people, which means all of you, know that you're wanted. I also heard somebody say, a couple tell about an amazing thing that happened this summer. They went on a trip with another couple in our church. They had had a long-time friendship, and they were in a car for 96 hours together, 4,800 miles. 4,800, that's 200 short of 5,000. I just like to help you with basic math things. When I can, to seem smart, and addition and subtraction, are, I'm really strong at those. If they're round and big. 4,800 miles together. So when they told the story, I was assuming, well, I guess we'll never see that other couple again since you're here. How would a trip like that not end the friendship instantly? But it didn't. It it enriched the friendship. They loitered together that many hours. And she said it was incredible how much we came to learn about each other. It was such a joy to be with each other like that. This friendship, you know how it started? Because this one couple came to the other couple's church 20 years ago. And the one couple said, hello, how are you? That's a bad reenactment. I don't know if it was that stiff. Stuck out their hand. How are you? Hey, you're a person. You might like to feel wanted and welcomed. Want to come over to our house for dinner after church? Boom. The strategy, the deep complexity of a ministry of invitation. Hey, want to go for a walk? Want to come to our house? Mind if I come over? That's it. That's how it started. Fussing over each other. Saying, that dude looks lonely. 
That dude looks like he has a hard time because, you know, there are people who have a hard time in crowds. They don't like crowds. Some people have a hard time reaching out to people. Works of service implies some people will be served. Some people are going to be good at reaching out. Some people are going to need to receive that. People need to know they're wanted. People need to know they're invited. That's one of the ways that we do this, these works of service. And one of their points, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and then the knowledge of Son of God and become mature. Paul wants the church to be fantastic. He wants Christ's body to continue to grow. He wants us to grow in maturity. He wants us to grow in unity. Do you realize what a unity drought we have in our country right now? Probably you don't because no one's on social media, so how would you know? But social media tells us everything that's happening exactly as it is. But there is a lot of bifurcation. There's a lot of anger and poisonous hatred. And in fact, the only kinds of unity that seem to exist are a kind of faux unity, fake unity. A unity where you and I are bound by our common hatred of someone else, by our common contempt for some other group. We're bound by our our willful incomprehension where we have decided in advance, I'm not going to take any pains to understand my enemy because that might make them seem like a human. I'm just going to be bound because it feels good to my anxieties if I can just be unified with some group of somebody and our common hatred of that enemy out there. But Paul envisions another kind of unity, like living out what actually is. He says... Jesus Christ says, look around all of you. And he says, uh, well, I guess this is what I've got to work with. Forgiven. Cleansed. Unified to me. Here, I'll prove it. Here's my life in you. Now, love each other like I've loved you. And, and demonstrate that you're children of your father. So if you meet up with an enemy, someone who say, who mistreats you, tell you what do. Pray for them. If they say mean things about you, here's what you should do. Do good to them. See, we're the people who have been done good to, who have been prayed for, even though we were God's enemies. And so now we're this fussed over people who can fuss over each other. And our unity means merely living out what is already true about us. We are joined together. You who have faith in Jesus Christ, you're joined together in Christ. It's not fiction. We're connected. Paul is just urging us to live into that connection. But he says this wonderful word that's really helpful for us. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Until, until, until. You know what? It's important to hear until. Well, if you've ever been a parent, for instance, and you've ever been discouraged about your children... You might have worn, reminded yourselves, I've read things like this, where you say to yourselves, we're not finished yet. Well, sure. 
Our kids aren't acting the way we want them to, but we're not finished yet. They're not yet who they're meant to be. We'll keep at it until they are. And it's such a joy, and maybe even helpful for you to remember when you look around and you see the hypocrisy of the church or all the hypocrites who have left the church for its hypocrisy. Boom, 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 boom. Just kidding. But that's a favorite one. But one of the things we've got to remind people is the until. We haven't reached maturity yet. We're startlingly immature in some ways. But we're keeping at it with each other because God's keeping at it with us. We're trying to live out what's already happened, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Why do you look down on someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and his master will make him stand. Paul has a pretty remarkably reassuring confidence that Jesus really likes you, has really called you into fellowship with himself, is really going to see this thing through. And so if you fail, he's really going to cleanse you. And we can really convince each other that all of that is true by sharing the same concerns, by offering that same forgiveness, by offering that same acceptance. You know, Winnie the Pooh, I'm sorry, someone got me on this. And one story is searching, I think for a heffalump, I can't, these words, whatever. Searching for something he thinks is getting them, is going to get them. And, he's, and so he's walking around in the snow, he sees some footprints, and so he walks around this bush in the snow, and as he walks around, he notices that there's now two sets of footprints. And so he's got to find this, so he keeps walking, and then there's more, and he thinks, and Piglet gets in to help him, and he thinks, what are these things? Are they going to get us? They're growing, they're multiplying. Each time he goes around, there are more footprints. And at some point, Christopher Robin, looking down, says to Pooh, what on earth are you guys doing walking around and around in the snow around that bush? And at first he defends himself, well, we're looking for heffalumps. And then it begins to occur to him, oh, we've just been walking around those are our footprints the added added footprints were just my own and Pooh says I have been foolish and deluded and I am a bear of no brain at all I've been foolish and deluded and I'm a bear of no brain at all and Christopher Robin says you're the best bear in all the world he says it soothingly And Pooh says, hopefully, am I? And then he brightened up suddenly. I am a bear of no brain at all. Foolish and deluded. And for some reason, Jesus Christ, as Christopher Robin, has looked on us and said, foolish and deluded and worse. Because it's not all innocent. And rebellious and angry, and self-absorbed people. I want to make something of you. I invite you into my life. I think you're fantastic, and I will not stop. Until you've reached maturity, I want you to become like me. We're the community who has been loved, even though we're foolish and deluded and bears of no brain and often of no heart at all.
And when this Jesus calls us and intends for us to become like him, he's not calling us to become 33-year-old Middle Eastern Palestinian men with long beards and robes and sandals. He's wanting us to be people who can look outside and see a robin chirping on a windowsill and be at ease because we know we have the same father who feeds that bird. He wants us to be the kind of people who are fearless enough that when when a crowd gathers around him, he so knows that he's going to die precisely on time and that his time has not come. And so when they're trying to throw him off a cliff for doing something scandalous, like healing someone, he walks through the crowd untouched. He wants us to be someone who is so free from bias in our own interest that we can be happy for other people, that we can be excited to praise God, that we can look forward to days. That's what a human is who is finding their place as a true child of God not eaten up by resentments or worries or poisonous self-regard. Can you see why? why he wants us to become like him? When he wants us to become like him, he's wanting us to be completely emancipated from all that binds us. And he'll see us through it, even though we're foolish and deluded and often bears of no brain. And no heart at all. Oh, let us be a people fussed over as we are by Jesus who fuss over each other with his power and his life teeming in us. Amen.